Please be seated. A most blessed Christmas morn to each and every one of you, and may the blessings of the Incarnate One fill you with joy this day. It is often said, especially of late, that we are living in uncertain times. But I would like to know when the certain times were. Are we not always one slip or one freak accident, one midnight phone call or one diagnosis away from having our lives turned upside down? It's said that nothing is certain except for death and taxes. But then again, Jesus, by his certain resurrection and by his certain kingship, cast doubt on both death and taxes. It turns out that almost nothing is certain, unless, of course, it comes from God, which yields a rather simple and yet deeply offensive truth. We are not nearly as in control as we think we are. What control, for example, did Mary or Joseph have when Caesar issued his decree? The whims of a politician turned their lives upside down. They were forced to move from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and it wasn't a weekend getaway. They were to live there for months, if not years. And then yet another uncertainty arose, yet another thing outside of their control. It was a politician once again. Are you noticing a theme? This time, King Herod, and he wanted their child dead. So to Egypt, of all places, they went. And we might even ponder a bit more deeply, a bit more profoundly, and ask just what control Mary really had when the angel first visited her and told her that she would bear the Savior of the world. Many Christians like to play up her free will and, uh, and her assent to what the angel had said, but we should note that the angel doesn't say to her, if you agree to all of the terms and conditions, as long as you submit your full written consent, then you will, receive, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. No, the angel simply says to her, you will conceive and, bear, and in your womb bear a son. Could Eve really have told God or... Eve. Could Mary have really have told God no? And what would that mean if she did? Or we might ponder what control Joseph had over his circumstances when he found that the woman he was betrothed to was with child that wasn't his. And no sooner had he decided to take control of the situation and divorce her quietly when an angel intervened and said to him in a dream, that the child in her womb was from the Holy Spirit. Again, could Joseph really have told God no? And what would it mean if he did? What control did the shepherds have when the angels burst open the Bethlehem sky and filled their eyes and ears with all of heaven's wonders, proclaiming the Messiah's birth? Did a single one of them take control, shout, bah humbug, and sit back down as if nothing happened? What control did the Magi have when they set out after the star without any certainty of where it would take them or what might come upon them as they followed its light? Would they have stopped following the star if it took them towards Bakersfield? 
perhaps of all of these, it's Caesar who seems to have the most control, issuing his edict that all must follow. But this too is an illusion. After all, why did Caesar choose to have a census when he did? Certainly, he would cite his own reasons for the timing, but the church fathers like to point out that it was actually the scriptures that were in control, not Caesar. The scriptures said that Christ would be born, not in Nazareth, where Mary and Joseph were, but in Bethlehem. What on earth could move them from Nazareth to Bethlehem at precisely the time for the Christ to be born? No pregnant family would choose that. Why, it would take a decree from Caesar himself. Voila. What control then did Caesar really have? He did exactly as he willed, of course, and yet his will was entirely subject to what the scriptures had decreed. He no doubt felt as if he were utterly in control, but in fact, he was not in control at all. There's a rather profound truth in that silly nursery rhyme, row, row, row your boat. You may row in whatever way you like, this way or that, whichever way your free will takes you, and yet down the stream you go just the same. We may have some control over those things which God has put under us, which oar to pull and win, who to marry or where to live, or what to order from Chick-fil-A. But down the stream we go just the same. And upon deeper consideration, were we really as free in our decisions as we felt ourselves to be? Caesar wasn't. No different than Mary and Joseph, the shepherds and wise men, our free will turns out to be not nearly so free as we think it is but you've no doubt realized and experienced this yourself already. Good luck, dear parent, imposing your free will upon little children. I'm sure you chose to wake up at 5 a.m. this morning for stockings. Good luck, dear husband, imposing your free will upon your beloved spouse. I'm sure you could choose to redecorate the house and dodge your paraphernalia anytime you want. But more seriously... If you are so certain that your will is absolutely free, that you are, in fact, in control of those things even so simple as your own thoughts, words, and deeds, then by all means exercise your free will and stop sinning entirely. Or the next time you feel ill, simply will yourself to be well. Let coronavirus know that you do not consent and surely it will flee from you. Or when death comes, simply exercise your free will and tell death, eh, my schedule's a little busy today. I don't think so. But if we can't control something as simple as our own behaviors, the good I want to do, that I do not do, or something so small as a germ, or a cancer cell, or a blood clot, what things are in our control? If we can't even fix ourselves, how on earth do we think we can fix others or right the world? As Jordan Peterson once said to a group of young people, how are you going to save the world 
if you can't even make your bed. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And he isn't you or me, thanks be to God. We are not the saviors. We need a savior. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And no, we didn't choose him or desire him or even ask for him to come. But he came anyway, precisely because we are not in control. He is, and God be praised. He came down to his own, and his own people did not receive him, John writes. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. Could it be any clearer? The Son of God is born to us that we might become sons of God. He is born, as we sing, to give us second birth. He is born so that we may be born anew. And we are born anew, born of God. Not because we will it, but because he does. We didn't choose our first birth to be born into this world and become children of our parents. Nor do we choose our second birth to be born from above and become children of God. This happens not because of the will of the flesh, not because of the will of man, John tells us, but because of God. The Son of God became man that we sons of man might become sons of God. This is not our doing. It is God's doing. And it is marvelous in our sight. This is the rather strange gospel that is hidden in the birth of Christ. The good news that you are not in control. God is. The good news that nothing is in fact certain unless God hath spoken it. What blessed joy there is in this. He has taken our salvation entirely out of our hands. And good thing. Think of all the lesser things we've messed up. Our eternal destiny is simply far too important for us to be trusted with it. And countless scriptures comfort us with this fact. If salvation were in the hands of people, no one would be saved. And therefore God has taken our salvation out of our hands and into his own hands, into the hands of his Christ. And what is true of our salvation can also then be seen in all other areas and aspects of our lives. We are not as in control as we think we are. We can only do so much for others. We can only do so much for ourselves. We can diet and exercise, but that doesn't mean we're in control of our health. We can mask up and sanitize our hands every 15 seconds, but that doesn't mean we're in control of disease. We can fast and pray and give alms, but that doesn't mean we're in control of our spiritual growth. We can be the best spouse or parent or child we can possibly be, but that's no guarantee that these relationships will last or be what we wanted them to be. All this, of course, is bad news, very bad news for our egos and for the way that we think things should go. 
But once our egos have shattered, once our hearts have been broken, once we realize that we are not in control, and this by design, we glimpse what may be the strangest good news there is. We may row this way or that, but the stream carries us and all others, and that stream belongs to God. And God is good. We aren't good. He is good. We aren't wise. He is wise. He knows exactly what he's doing. And we can trust him more than we can trust ourselves. Indeed, trusting him is the only sane thing we can do. And if we, being evil, know how to give good Christmas gifts to our children and help them in the way they should go, how much more our Father in heaven, who alone is good. So it is indeed God who breaks our hearts because they need to be broken. A broken and contrite heart he does not despise. For he will take our broken hearts and mend them into something more and then break them again and mend them into yet something more. A broken heart and a contrite spirit he does not despise. In fact, he requires it of all his sons. God is in control of your salvation. God is in control of your life. God is in control of your health. God is in control of your sorrows. God is in control precisely in that place where you wonder if he really is. God is in control of your spiritual well-being. God is in control of your past, present, and future. God is in control of your death. And God is in control of your resurrection from the dead. There is no father more good, more loving, or more trustworthy than he. And how can you be certain of this? Because he gave his only begotten son for you and laid on him your sins and put them away forever. Because he gave his only begotten son for you and made his son as you are so that you might become as he is. Because he gave his only begotten son for you and has more planned for you than you ever would have dreamed, than you ever would have chosen. As the saying goes, Father knows best. So behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy this Christmas day. You're not in control of anything, but God is. Trust in him. He who so loves you that he gave his only begotten son how will he not also give you all good things? Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Merry Christmas. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please rise for the Te Deum.